New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today, I'm hosting Dr. B.J. Miller. He's a palliative medicine physician and has worked with many settings with inpatients and outpatients, and he's the founder of the Center for Dying and Living and also co-author of A Beginner's Guide to the End, Practical Advice for Living Life and Facing Death. B.J., welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. This, this book is a whole resource for how to navigate the complexities mm-hmm. of dying. But more than that, it's also of living. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a combination of both. So what made you decide with Shoshona Berger to just sort of mm-hmm. put this all down? Mm-hmm. What, what was the need here that you were trying to fill well, it was Shoshana's idea. So she and I had worked together on a project at IDEO, sort of helping to kind of, we really just worked on the Zen Hospice Project. And IDEO is her organization. IDEO is where she is, right, is a big design firm, and she's the editorial director there. And she helped me craft the TED Talk. I mean, she's helped edit that. And so she and I had worked together on a few different things. And she actually suggested writing a book because she had lost her father to a five-year a run of dementia. And so she had this experience as a caregiver and realized how the, the sort of paucity of information out there. And she had such a hard time navigating without a guidebook. And so fresh from her own experiences, personal and professional, she suggested we work on a book together. And I quickly leapt at the idea because I knew, you know, if you work in a hospital, you just watch people come in all the time and they're just going to come back again because you know the resources aren't out there that are going to help them. You know they don't have access to the information that they need. And so you just sort of sit in this perverse merry-go-round with people just flying through the ER, and getting tuned get up. 12 and 12 minutes with exactly. them. And you're so, so super aware of the gaps in understanding and the gaps in resources. So anyway, I knew that the world could use a book like this. And with Shoshana by my side, it felt like the right person to try to do this with. In a nutshell, let me just say, I mean, I think the overarching idea here is not to make death fun or easy, but you know, in this life, some pain is inevitable. And for that pain, we need compassion and we need to bear witness and we need to be together and we need reassurance. And we try to do that in the book. But we also have to say some pain is optional and there are choices you can make to make life less painful and more meaningful. And so our purpose in this book is to be with you through the things that can't be changed and to help you change the things you can. Well, I know that one of the ways that you organize book, which was really wonderful, at the end of each chapter, you have just this little one page, mm. the bottom line. Yeah. And, and even if you go to mm-hmm. a bookstore and mm-hmm. pick up this book, A Beginner's Guide to the End, just pick it up and look for those blue pages mm-hmm. and look at that bottom line and just read that. You're going to buy this book mm-hmm. because you're going to want to know the details of all of those. I mean... Don't leave a mess. Clean out your attic. Secrets and lies will catch up with you. Say the things that matter. You know, that's chapter one or another chapter. 
The bottom line, I'm sick, getting the news, communicating with doctors about your prognosis, how to deal with the shock of it all. Another one, chapter eight, coping, dread, and other complex emotions, coping techniques, 13 consecutive approaches to try. <laughs> I mean, you could just feel the richness <laughs> of all of that, just reading some of these chapter headings. <laughs> so when you were talking about Shoshona, I was reminded that in her story, her father was a mathematician or, or just kind of a genius. He, well, when, he was an engineer. He yeah. was an engineer. Yeah, an academic. Yeah, so he was a teacher, professor. You know, and so just all just brain. Very logical, rational, yes, yes. just a big brain. Yep. And then she watched him go into dementia. Right. His worst fear, of course, that he would lose his capacity to think. And maybe it's all of our worst fear. Maybe. I think that there's some statistic that you say in the book about how those of us who live a long time, maybe three out of five have some sort of dementia. Mm. Maybe they're not going to die of it. Some yeah. do die of it, but, yeah. but it's there. Yeah. That's like a big fear. Tell me about yeah. what you have to say about how to be with that and well, how to prepare for that. One is just to name it, right? So dementia is a growing issue as our population ages. As we live longer, we uncover more and more problems like dementia. And one thing to understand about dementia, that first of all, Alzheimer's gets a lot of uh, attention, but there are many kinds of dementia. It's a spectrum, isn't it's it? It's a spectrum, yes, but there are also distinct etiologies. There are certain okay. kinds of dementia that affect different parts of the brain. So the etiology is not necessarily a common pathway. But all dementias lead to essentially losing your intellectual capacity and your executive function, the ability to make rational decisions and to orient yourself in the world, etc., so, one thing to understand about dementia is it is a terminal disease. I don't think a lot of people kind of understand that. I think we imagine we know dementia, the idea that we're going to forget things. But I don't know that a lot of people turn the corner and say, yeah, you're going to forget things, but your ability to orchestrate a life is going to fail, is going to suffer, and you eventually will die from dementia. It is a terminal disease. If something else doesn't kick in. If something else doesn't get you first. Right. Because most dementias play out pretty slowly over the course of years. Mm -hmm. So another reason why we're sort of seducing the thinking, not thinking of it as a terminal disease, but it really is. And at this point in time, there is, uh, we have no cures for dementia. All right, so if you get that diagnosis, you're either going to die with dementia from something else or you're going to die from dementia. I've worked on this with my women's group where we're really kind of listing out mm -hmm. if I can't do this and mm -hmm. if I can't do that and if I can't do this. And what we're talking about is like, what are our options mm -hmm. for a physician-assisted death. Mm -hmm. And that's a biggie. It's a and huge one. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about that. Okay. Let's dig in real quick here on this one. So aid in dying is the latest. It used to be called physician-assisted suicide, but I think a lot of us sort of were repelled by the word suicide, which has a lot of connotation to it. So the latest language is medical aid in dying or physician aid in dying or assisted dying, which is essentially, and it's now legal, I believe in seven states, uh, Oregon was the first in 1997. There was a, the Supreme Court got involved and kicked the issue back to the states. Basically, in California, since 2016, we all more or less follow the Oregon experiment. There is a process by which you can apply for and obtain l a lethal dose of medication to end your own life. 
there are all sorts of qualifications you need to meet to uh, qualify for that. So this is where it gets tricky with dementia. By law, this process, again, here we have a case where legislation and policy are trying to be responsive to the individual, but it's not always a good fit. So for protective reasons, so that the law doesn't get abused and people don't get coerced into dying or getting off the planet sooner than they have to, you have to interview with a doctor two weeks apart, 15 days apart, to state your wish to end your life. You have to be coppice mentis. You have to be able to uh, show that you are, quote unquote, in your right mind. You are of sound mind. And dementia, by definition, takes the soundness of your mind. Exactly. So... You could state your wish early in dementia to end your life when I cease to be able to recognize you or when I cease to be able to eat by myself. You could state your wish to at that point enact aid in dying. But legally, you won't be able to get there because you need to, at the time, you need to be in the terminal throes of an illness. You have to have a prognosis of six months or less to live. So this is where it gets so tricky. Dementia can go on for years. Exactly. Is there any hope? (laughs) Well, the hope is, I mean, the law will evolve. And there are exceptions. Another detail in the law holds that you have to ingest the medicines yourself. No one can put the pills in your mouth. You have to physically take them yourself. Now... In the advanced throes of certain illnesses, like ALS, for example, you may not be able to actually physically lift the medicine into your mouth. By the letter of the law, it would be illegal. Okay, so these are the exceptions that make no real sense in practice. And I imagine the law will evolve to, to cast a wider, more thoughtful net. But that's where it stands now. Because so, I would think that, it, just like in a medical directive, if someone did a legal thing mm-hmm. about dementia and mm-hmm. saying if these things are taking place in my life and yep. I can no longer like let's say feed myself I don't have control over my bowels yep. and I'm I don't recognize anybody and so forth then I would like to die yep. and if it was just as legal as yep. the medical directive then maybe that that's where the law might change if you had that document. Yes, maybe. But you can imagine there the situation, too, when a caregiver, especially with dementia, it can be so long and so hard that the caregiver may be the one who needs the relief. Of, yes. And, and so you get in these mind-numbing situations where even if it were to become legal, as you just described, well, then that caregiver's left to sort of push these medicines into your mouth with you not being cognizant of what's happening. You can just oh, imagine gosh. how agonizing oh, it would I be, right? I mean, oh, yeah, I just see the scene. It, it just, uh, you know. So tricky. So let's just talk real quickly about what is possible. Okay. So aid in dying for the advanced stages of dementia right now is not legal. But as you just described, the process of going through with your family and your friends saying, if and when I reach this stage or that stage, what you can say is stop giving me food and drink. So there there's V said the voluntary cessation of uh, eating and drinking. Essentially, you, you could live for about a month with no food, but it's hard to live much longer than a week or so without any water, mm-hmm. any fluids. So predictably, so if you hit certain milestones and you've made your wishes known, your family or friends can stop giving you food and water. And that's a hard week. It's a very, very hard week. But if you're very, very directive about it, uh, then it might make it easier. Yes. If you like sure that those are your wishes so the family members know what they're doing, they need to see that their role is not ending your life. They need to see that their role is bowing to your wishes. 
that's a very important and I just want I just have to add one little thing and I may have said this before on another cafe but when Michael and I unplugged mm -hmm. his mother from life sustaining mm -hmm. systems in yep. a hospital and she died shortly after that but very peacefully and we were able to stay with her in the mm -hmm. hospital room and everything but when we drove home we were in separate cars and when he had this thought, did I do the right thing? Mm -hmm. You know, as he yeah. was driving in the driveway, yeah. he really thought that. Yeah. And at that moment, a sticker that had been in our car for over a year, hmm. just a, a little sticker on the right-hand side of the, the mm. windshield, peeled off the windshield right in that moment. Hmm. And it said, Grateful Dead, backstage pass. <laughs> Wow. So I just wow. want to add that wow. there, that who Amazing. knows what's going on, but he had the thought that yeah. thing fell on the dashboard, and he just felt like it was a message from his mother. Well, let's just say two things here. Thank you for again for sharing your story. These personal stories are so important that we share these. And my Lord, there, when it comes to mystery, I mean, there's all sorts of things we don't understand about death. And this is my work. I can't tell you what happens after death. You know, I have no answer for that. But we do see these things. We do take these signals. We have our intuitions. We have our gut sense. And those are very, very powerful and should be heeded. So thank you for sharing that. That is a very meaningful distinction and a very, very meaningful story. But I also want to say one more thing about so um, what you can also do if, if that doesn't feel right to you or your family of stopping defeating you or stopping giving you fluid is to simply just get out of the way of death. So you can say, when I am no longer able to recognize my loved ones or whatever else, I want you to put all your effort into my comfort. And I do not want to be taken to the hospital. And, and if and when I get a urinary tract infection or a pneumonia, I do not want that to be treated. In other words, get out of the way of death. That's another way of thinking about how you can sort of usher in death with minimal pain and some amount of peace. Right. And even with that, you can have some morphine or something that for pain. Absolutely. Both with V-SED and this idea of sort of getting out of the way of death. In both cases, you could be on hospice or get palliative care or have right. just a, a well-intended right. doctor treat your suffering along the way. So I know our listeners just can feel the richness of what is contained mm. in this resource. And I urge everybody to pick it up and talk about it with your friends and really, really mm. participate in this whole process that you've laid out, you and Shoshona have laid out. I want to thank you so much, BJ, for mm. being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. It's such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure as well. And I just want to remind our listeners that Dr. B.J. Miller is co-author with Shoshona Berger of A Beginner's Guide to the End, Practical Advice for Living Life in Facing Death. And if you want to know more about his work, he's the founder of the Center for Dying and Living, and the website is centerfordyingandliving.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe and invite you. Please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, 
to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.